0: You're listening to the Kilcullen Diary Podcasts, stories in sound from a village grown bigger. Hello, I'm Brian Byrne. This is an episode from my series In Those Days, memories mostly of my father's time, mostly in Kilcullen. This time, a chance meeting of two Irishmen in Gibraltar closed a circle of events which had begun some 20 years before. In the early 70s, my dad and mum went for a holiday to Gibraltar. There were times when they wanted to do different things, like mum wanted to have a siesta while the shops were closed in the afternoon, and dad was content to do something more fruitful, such as checking out the local pubs. As a publican himself, Many of his ideas for the place back home had often been conceived after seeing something abroad, which made excellent sense, or the best of excuses, for a foreign pub's investigation. This particular afternoon it was hot and sunny, and the open areas were not places for a sensible man to be out in. He found a little place he hadn't been to before. Good afternoon, sir. What can I get you? There was no language barrier in Gibraltar, and the barmen were invariably friendly and efficient. One was never left waiting for a drink, not that there was any reason to be kept waiting here, there was only one other customer. Dad checked out the back bar. High and dusty on a shelf he saw a familiar label. Is that Jameson? Yes sir, you'd like some? I would, and maybe a beer to wash it down the barman nodded and turned to the task. Dad looked along the bar again. It wasn't his style to drink alone if it wasn't necessary. The man at the other end had turned too. He raised his glass. Another Irishman, he said, in an unmistakable Dublin accent. And you're as far from home as I am, my dad said. Will you join me? The other looked at his almost empty beer. I didn't notice the jemmy bottle, so I'll have one of those if that's okay. The barman had already poured Dad's whiskey and was lifting a beer from the cold cupboard. Bring it up here, will you, and give my friend a drop too, he said. He picked up his glass and walked to join the other man who put out his hand. I'm Joe O'Donnell from Dublin, as you've probably noticed. Dad shook with him. Jim Byrne, I'm from Kilcullen in County Kildare." He wasn't surprised that there was a reaction. He was a very well-known publican and he'd made his pub world famous for a variety of reasons. But O'Donnell's recognition wasn't the usual. The man paused, then reached for the jemison which had just been poured. You wouldn't be a publican, would you? I am. The hideout in Kilcullen. Maybe you know it. O'Donnell nodded, took a sip and put his glass back on the counter. And would you have been in the cinema business in the forties by any matter of chance? I was, in Kildare and Portlaoise and in Kilcullen. A grin came over his new acquaintance's face. O'Donnell lifted his whisky and drained the glass, and then he signalled to the barman to pour them another. I know you more than you know, Jim Byrne, he said, and laughed quietly. But I never expected to be able to buy you a drink and certainly not this far from home. They both drained their second whiskies, though more slowly this time. And how do you know me, Joe? Dad asked then, and nodded to the barman to set them up again. O'Donnell grinned. I work with the Department of Justice, and I have a file, he lifted his hand almost a foot above the counter, this thick about you. Dad thought for a moment and then smiled. of Variety? O'Donnell nodded. of Variety. And the locker lounge. There was only one bottle of Jamsin in the bar, but they found other equally useful beverages as the rest of the day turned into reminiscence. In the early 30s, concerned that live theatre performers were losing their livelihoods because of the popularity of the new cinematography exhibition venues, the Irish government imposed a national tax on cinemas. A number of Dublin theatres were exempted because they provided both forms of entertainment on a more or less equal basis. This was fairly well accepted until after World War II, the emergency in Irish terms. But in the autumn of 1947, in a supplementary budget and following representations from the cinema halls most burdened with the tax, the government introduced a national waiver for any cinema that provided in its programme a live performance for half of the total show. It was well meant, but in post-war cinema good films were getting longer. The requirement for such a ratio of live shows to film resulted in not just an extra cost, but also very late endings of the programme, at a time when very few people had personal transport to get home apart from their bicycles. Dad and two pals, Tommy Kelly of Port Leash and Kyo of Carlo, had gone into the cinema business some years before. Because the other pair were heavily involved in their own enterprises, Dad was the managing partner. In the rural venues where they operated, he found it was a Hobson's choice. He could pay the full cine-variety tax so that the cinema could show films only, and in the process price itself out of a significant part of the entertainment market in very depressed times. Or he could offer the dual live performance and film show. But time constraints would only allow him to show fairly short films. So he hit on the idea of opening the cinema at tea time, paying local musicians and dancers to perform until 8 o'clock and then running the full film programme until 10.30 or whenever. Plenty of time for the customers to enjoy a full-length contemporary movie and still be able to leave in good time to get home at a reasonable hour or stop to have a jar on the way. Technically, the show started at tea time, but in practice the customers only came in for the movie. Also, because it meant there was no tax to pay, he was able to lower the ticket prices even after paying the live performers, so more people could afford to come to the cinema. Word got out, and quickly the idea was taken up by most of the country's more than 300 cinema operators. Some, instead of paying performers to play in the dead time, actually offered their stages to local music teachers for a small fee, where their pupils could be put through their paces. Officially during those sessions, the night's paid entertainment was open to the public. In June of 1948, following long parliamentary debates, an amendment to the provisions of the supplementary budget ended the loophole. But the file on my dad had only started. In 1960, the then Minister for Justice, Charles High T.D., brought in a major revamp of the liquor licensing laws in Ireland. It was a root and branch set of new regulations to a tranche of laws which hadn't changed much in more than 30 years, in some sections a century beyond that. Among the provisions was the elimination of the old bona fide law, which allowed anyone who was more than three miles from their home to be served a drink for some hours beyond the normal closing time. The new act did away with the genuine excuse for having people on the premises after hours. This was important to our family business because the hideout and its grill restaurant was by then a very popular place, particularly with the travelling racing fraternity, who were used to staying until the late hours. Over a few drinks with a lawyer pal, later to become a county-state solicitor, Dad came up with the idea to get over the more stringent regulations on closing time. As with all the best ideas, the essence was in its simplicity. The pub had a specific operating area in a map lodged with its license, but on the property there were yards and stores where it was not licensed to sell alcoholic drink. Now that there was no bona fide excuse to serve people after hours, he set up a lounge in one of the store areas. It had a piano and was furnished to the same level as the pub. Crucially, there wasn't any direct access to the licensed part of the premises. What it did have was a room of lockers, similar to those found in the changing rooms of a golf club. Customers of the pub could rent a locker for a nominal sum. During the day, any of those locker tenants could ask for, and pay for, any amount of drink they wanted to be put in their lockers. When closing time came with the partying at its highest, they could leave the pub and troop around the corner into the locker lounge. Those amongst them who weren't tenants could be invited as guests by those who were, and could bring with them their own share of drink in carryouts if they wanted to. With no more disruption than might be involved in going to the toilets, they all carried on with the fun of the night. It was a small thing that got quickly very big making lead stories in the Sunday Irish papers, even featuring on the front of the London Sunday Times almost half a century before it had an Irish edition. The Department of Justice was annoyed, but when its experts looked at the legal underpinnings, they found that Dad had driven a coach and four through the Act. Not surprising, because the barrister who had helped him draw up the legal details of the scheme was later to become an Attorney General of Ireland. The local Garda were equally unhappy, but I'll draw a veil over the embarrassment caused to our sergeant of the time, who became obsessed with the situation, which, ironically, also ended the times he was able to have his own private after-hours drinks in the snug at the end of the public bar. There were copycat followers, and things quickly reached the same farcical situation, which had required a legal fix for the Cinevariety problem. It took the state's legal eagles two years to get on top of this one. If he'd wanted to, Dad could have carried on afterwards simply by changing a few words in the tenancy agreement. But he'd had his fun, again, and his publicity, also again. And by the time they closed this loophole also, he'd already moved along to other things. I'm glad to have met you at last, Jim, Joe O'Donnell said as he raised his glass. For how many times that day neither could remember nor did they need to. A circle had been completed. But I'd love to know what bar it was in Gibraltar where the Department of Justice met the hideout in Kilcullen. It sounds like my kind of place. The name Joe O'Donnell is fictitious, although the person and the meeting in the pub is not. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Kilcullen Diary. Thanks for listening.